Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Everybody, Doc Brian, and welcome to Doc Talks, where we talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs of life. Today, we have with us uh, the the famous the famous Pamela Price here. I wish you could see her face at this introduction, <laughs> uh, but Pamela, we're so so glad to have you with us here today, and look forward to getting to know you a little bit better. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Me too. Me too. So um, when when I was sent your direction to see if you would uh, be a guest on the show, I got to looking at all of these accolades of uh, uh, fighting stuff that you uh, will not fighting. Um, what is it? Ninja war uh, mm-hmm. that you do? Um, American, American ninja warrior. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I, I watched that stuff on TV and I'm like, I, I obviously could not do any of that. Some people are built for comfort and others for speed. <laughs> So <laughs> you could do it. You could. <laughs> yeah, I, I could. I could. Um, but I, I have no desire to. So we'll we'll Yeah, leave I was it. just gonna say the question is, do you want to? That's right. Yeah. And I have no no want to do any of any of right. that. So right. um Pamela, tell us, and I, I assume you go by Pamela. Is that okay to call yes. you? Okay. Yes, uh, where were you born? Tell us a little bit about where you grew up. I was born in Virginia Beach, Virginia, small, a Croatan, really. And I was, that's where my parents had first met. My mom was an RN, registered nurse. My dad was doing his residency after coming back from medical school in Europe. And I have a sibling, uh, one older sister who's two years older. And uh, most of my Filipino family was there. Also, my father's parents were there. They both passed away now. But, uh, you know, there's a big Filipino community because of the Navy and uh, in the in the base there, which is my my late grandfather, my late Lolo uh, uh, Conrad was a part of the Navy. So, so that's where I grew up. And then we moved at about I would say I was about eight years old when we moved to Maine, to Portland, Maine, Scarborough, Maine. And that uh, you know it was a safe place to grow up, and and you could leave your door unlocked, and you know there was no social media then, so it was like life was a little bit simpler. Absolutely. Uh, do you think, uh, as my mom says a lot, it just seems like the world is getting worse and worse. Do you think it's that it's really getting worse or that we just have more access to what's going on everywhere? I think we have more access and we have more uh, reporting and observing and there's a camera on everything. So like if, you know, if there was a man yielding sword, which is often something that happens here on Hollywood Boulevard over there. We didn't know that was happening in 1995 because nobody was shooting it and putting it on Instagram. Right. So I think it's a little bit of both too. I think like maybe all of the social media is like sort of a downfall as well, you know, and, and the whole like your superficiality wanting to be something and appear to be something, but your life is actually not that. So there's a little bit of that, a little bit of everything. 
Sure. So growing up in, in Maine at eight years old, was it kind of a, a culture shock moving from Virginia Beach to Maine or people generally about the same? Yeah. You know, I think for me, I, 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 didn't, I wouldn't call it a struggle, but it's everybody's white in Maine or, or was at least then. And the only really people with a diverse background was myself and my sister. If my father dropped us off or picked us up from school, people thought we were adopted because he's white. If they saw my mom, then they would assume we were either Chinese or Japanese, and that's it. Nothing else, just mm -hmm. Chinese or Japanese. Um, and then the only other, I think there were two guys who were, they were twins. They were, they were uh, black, African-American, and they were adopted, and th that was the most diversity I knew. Right. So did you did you struggle with that in that school? Like, were you aware of it or is it now that you're older looking back, you're more aware of it? I definitely was not aware of it at the time. I, I sort of split some of my high school years were in a public school and then I was in an all girls pri private Catholic school. I don't think so. You know, I mean, my nicknames were always dumpling and sushi and and fufu dumplings and and it was just a thing you know and then when they started to come out with all these teen movies where there was a token black guy the token asian girl or whatever i became the token asian and it was a joke mm -hmm. you know and i never took offense to it now i i definitely am aware of the separation of culture sure for sure sure so do you think growing up without that idea of of this diversity uh help shape you into an open-minded person uh, when it comes to people who struggle with those diversity issues? Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, I, I think that the way that I was raised also sort of created an open mind. You know, we, we traveled a lot, went to Europe. I, I spent some time in Paris myself working there. And, you know, my sister uh, took on the whole I'm going to go to grad school for Asian American studies. I'm going to embrace the Filipino culture, the any Asian culture. She's married to a Vietnamese uh, man. And she sort of saw me as the, as the white kid, you know, the kid that was really raised a Jewish white girl that didn't have much, much knowledge of my, of my background at all. Sure. Yeah. So did you do okay in high school? Was there any struggles? Any, any type of issues there? Good student, bad student, smoking in the girls' room, suspended, oh, you know, yeah. all that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I was a, I was a popular kid. My sister was sort of like the, I don't know if you ever saw this MTV show. It was called Daria. So my sister was Daria. She was sort of like the, the nerdy, you know, straight edge academic decathlon. And I was the popular girl that threw parties when my parents were out of town and I when I was a freshman I hung out with the seniors and they would give me gave me my first joint and I smoked cigarettes really young I was I was always at house parties you know I mean you're talking like 14 15 16 years old and uh, and then you know at a certain point uh, I, I was a part of this crew I remember it was Vinny what Caitlin Ashley and Pamela and we were the girls you know and then I I transferred to private school after I had a, quite an interesting scene in my life that I wonder, I wonder if I even remember all the details. And that was just long story short. I was dating a guy who was, he was also very popular. He was going to a basketball game that night. I would sing the national anthem in the basketball game. All the, all, all my friends were going to be there. And my sister had told on me, she said that I was sneaking out at night and that I was doing all this bad stuff. 
And I came downstairs to go to the basketball game. And my dad said I was basically grounded for life. And I needed to call my boyfriend and break up with him. And there was no like questions. And I didn't really know how to defend myself anyway. I decided that that was like the end of my world. I broke up with John McGinty and, and he kept calling the house and I took a bottle of extra strength, like bigger than this, large Tylenol and iron pills. And I took them all. I took all of it. And I wrote letters to my girlfriend. I was like, that's, I don't know what I said. I don't know what it was. And, and at this point, it's very, it's a little blurry. I remember that my parents came upstairs and I was sort of like gagging and, you know, my liver was failing. I had, I had overdosed mm -hmm. and there, I was secreting this, you know, scent of iron and they took me to the hospital. They, I think I almost lost my liver. You know, I remember my dad saying, you know, we might've been planning your funeral on this day. And that was all just because a 16 year old girl thought her, her little life was over, you know? Can't imagine if I had social media, what that would have been. And so coming back to school, you know, I think there was a rumor that I was pregnant. I was still a virgin, but it was, you know, it was a rumor that I was pregnant. There was a rumor that all these things. And I just sort of got up, made the decision with my parents to go to an all girls school. And I met a great group of, of girls there who were really supportive. And I still sort of remained friends with the crew and still threw parties and stuff like that when my parents wrote it down. But that was a really weird point in my life. So do you feel that that was a a suicide attempt or was it a attempt to just try to make everything stop? I don't think I knew what it was. Okay. I don't think I knew. I don't think I even like understood death or what it meant to commit suicide. I think I was trying to get attention, which is something that I still struggle with. Yeah. I, I, I'm always, I say this, I said this to somebody recently, I was going on a date actually. And I was like, I'm trying not to put on a show. Okay. That's the line for, for me for 2021, trying not to put on a show. And I was always trying to put on a show as a teen. Like even when I would go to the mall, I had to have my point shoes with me, you know, show that I was a ballerina or my, or my soccer cleats or something, something that would show that I was busy doing something, you know, and that might be impressive. And I think that doing that was sort of a way to get attention, you know? So identity was really big with you. Yes. Not necessarily yes. identity as in heritage of where you come from, but of of current standing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So after that, you broke up with the love of your life at 16 years old. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was the love of my life, but <laughs> he was a good guy. But you know, yeah, I would grow, yeah, at the at the moment. Yeah, you know? and so it's a well, the love of your life at that point at sixteen years old, and then go to a all girls Catholic school. So I'm sure there was a big difference and change of pace from public school to all girls private Catholic school as well. Huge. Huge change of pace. So what is the most traumatic thing that you remember about private Catholic school? Nothing. Honestly, hey, that's the dog. Um, nothing was traumatic about okay. private Catholic school. This was a very special case because it was a small private school, you know, not a lot, not a lot of girls, great teachers the the um the nuns the sisters were so they were nice of course there was sister geraldine may she rest in peace was a little mean but um everybody there was no popular like there was a little bit you know and i sort of went into that crew of like i became like the you know the 
the dramatic arts girl and would star in all their plays and whatever. But but for the most part, everybody was just nice to each other. And it might have been the uniforms, Mm -hmm. you know, we had uniforms. And so there was no judgment about what you were wearing or Abercrombie and Fitch or whatever, you know. So there was absolutely nothing traumatic about it. And I was there for my junior and senior year. And so good memories during that time. Nothing great. Nothing just sticks out. Okay. So then you graduate from high school. Do you go to college? What does what does that look like? My parents, you know, I would spend my summers, uh, if we weren't going to Europe, we would go to um I would go to a performing arts school in, in New York City. Uh sorry, not New York City, upstate New York. It was like a summer camp. And there's a film about it actually called Camp. And it's a performing arts camp where you go and you audition and all this stuff. And you, I ended up running the dance department there eventually. My father and my mother wanted me to be an actor. I had my heart sort of set on like an Emerson being a journalist of some kind. So I auditioned for a program, a small school called Marymount Manhattan in New York City. Uh, I got in on a scholarship and and I was going to, to New York for, for acting. And I was I double majored and I was loved art history. And during that time in college, I would take, I took my summers and I would go to Paris and I got like a, a writing job at a news site for, for expats that lived in Paris off of Craigslist. And that's how I sort of got into my own journalism route while I was doing, you know, performing arts. Okay. So within journalism, was there a specific kind of niche that you liked better? Yeah, I loved uh, cultural journalism. I mean, anything that had to do with when I was writing for this this site in Paris, I was writing about you know the 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 underground jazz clubs and the and the art exhibitions, the stuff that's sort of romantic, you know. But Paris is romantic, mm-hmm. so you know the cafes and whatnot. And I I was dabbling in creative writing and all of that, you know, and I, I really enjoyed it. So at that point, at that point in time of your life, what was your goal? What was the thing that you wanted to settle in doing? I don't know if I knew. I think I I was also like writing love stories and screenplays and stuff like that. So I think it was to be a writer Mm. of some kind and to, and to be a journalist of some kind, but always with the idea of making my mark of making a mark so that people saw what I was doing. Mm-hmm. which is really incredible that I didn't grow up with social media because <laughs> I would have been a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely would have, have caused some challenges uh, to to parents and, and other authoritative figures, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. In, in leaving your mark. So in that, at, at some point, you start uh, teaching dance in New York City. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I was always, a, a, you know, during this time, even in, in middle school and high school, I was always a dancer. I was studying ballet. I was I was in the Portland Ballet Company. And uh, and then from there, I got into contemporary dance and hip hop. And when I was going to college in New York, I would teach at the YMCA south of Houston, Soho uh, for the after kids school program. And I would teach at another dance studio in Hell's Kitchen. And uh, and that was, you know, it was a it was a great way to keep my creativeness, you know, my, my, I love dancing. I knew I would never be a professional dancer, but I was, I was definitely good at being a teacher. And, and teaching children keeps you on your toes. Very, very yes, much. It does. But it also, yeah. I think keeps us creative too, because we see things that 
kids do that they don't even realize they're doing and and it sparks something inside of us. I love it. I just taught a five-year-old this morning. I teach her ballet on Zoom every Saturday and it's, I get so excited to see when she sort of makes her own corrections, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's rewarding. Right. Very rewarding. So, so you said you didn't see yourself as a professional dancer, but a dance teacher. What, what gave you the mindset that you probably wouldn't ever be a professional dancer? My memory. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I would go to auditions or I would go to classes and I just couldn't, I just couldn't memorize the choreography that fast. And I actually, I don't think I really admit that ever, but, um, so I sort of began, I had a very strict dance mentor named Peanut Washington. And now, you know, I'm sort of the, not a strict teacher, but I am strict on knowing the choreography, you know, um, which is funny because I might forget it right after I teach them, but no one has to know. Nobody has to know. Tell tell no one. No, they know. (laughs) (laughs) I always say you remember that because I'm not going to (laughs) remember Yeah, yeah. So, so um, just the the thought of not being able to remember uh, the choreography was was your your thought that you could never make this work. Yeah, I think I I knew I had the stage presence, you know, of some kind, but I wasn't. Um, I just wasn't. I wasn't going to be a prima ballerina. I love you know I love hip hop and and I've continued over while having my career, you know, and 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 building my athletic career. I've continued over time to to have little small feats in dance. Like I, my, one of my good friends is, is Steven Tyler's daughter, Chelsea Tyler. And she and her husband, John Foster had a band called Kane Holler. So I would choreograph their music videos and, you know, and, and choreographed a couple of different things for, for different things that are on TV now. So it's like a hobby, I guess. Mm-hmm. Definitely a hobby. So you talked about uh, a little bit about your athletic career. Where does that kind of mingled together there between the dance and the athleticism in between um in in middle school and and high school dance and cross country those are my two things dance cross country track and I was a long distance runner and I I enjoyed it a lot I don't even know if I ever like won awards or podiums when I was a teenager but it didn't matter I really liked it and I always continued to run you know I would run through New York City, just go for runs. It wasn't until actually, it's funny because my journalism connects to this. I uh, I run a news site called LATF USA, LATV Film, and it's a it's a lifestyle news site. And a friend said to me in about 2016, "Have you ever heard of Tough Mudder?" And I was like, "What's that?" And he's like, "It's like this mud race where you do obstacles and you run, and then you and then you get really muddy." And I was like, "He's like, you should do a story about it because you write fitness articles." And so I got in touch with Tough Mudder and they said, we'll support your team, you know, your registration, get a team of four people, get, um, we'll support your gear with the Merrill sneakers and whatever. And I did, I got, I got a, a guy who was a yogi, a, a hockey player, a woman who was an army vet and myself, the dancer. And we trained together and we did a bunch of like stories and stuff like that. Again, before Instagram was really getting popular. Um, and, uh, and we did the race. It was eight miles and I don't know, something like 24 obstacles. And I loved it. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to do another one. And then I discovered Spartan and I put myself into the elite, uh, race there like a couple months later. And I did horribly and I failed horribly. And I did like 190 burpees, uh, penalties. And, uh, and then I, and then I, I joined a team and I, I started to do well. 
find my niche, you know. So did you find you did better with a team than the the competitions that you did by yourself? No, because so with the when you run those tough mutters, those are called open waves where you're just doing it for fun. So there's no time or anything. You just sort of go and you do it. Um, so then I started to compete on my own in age group and I started to do well. I I, I got third place at um at the USA OCR championships in my age group. And then I and then I started to do well at other Spartan races. And I was uh, scouted by a, an obstacle course team called Hardcore Performance. And then I started to sort of represent them at everything. I started to place first at, at trail races and then find out that I love mountain running. And, and it sort of spiraled, if you can. It, it went up so, <laughs> into a, a really major thing, you know. Um, and, then I, and then eventually I was scouted for American Ninja Warrior. And, and the rest is sort of history. So, so the day that you were scouted for American Ninja Warrior, that you knew it was final, that you would be on, what was that feeling like? What was that emotion there? I was scouted in October 2018. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and then I got the call a couple of weeks before they sh they filmed the show in, in March of 2019. And uh, I got the call in February. The feeling was awesome because uh, my parents were there when I found out and all of that. But the knowledge was lacking zero. I had no idea what it meant to be a, to be a ninja athlete because it's a whole other world. Not a lot of people do, you know. Right. I, I'm a rock climber. I, uh, you know, I've always I've been rock climbing for about 12 years or whatever. It's only in the past couple of years that I fell in love with bolt for with free climbing. And so that world is a little bit like ninja, but still not at all. Like there's actually a ninja league that's like there's the MLB, the NBA, you know, the 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 NFL. There's an a ninja league, and that's a whole other world. Wow, yeah, I I, I have no idea. I see these shows on TV, and I'm going, I, I could never do that, or I would never want to do that. You know, those <laughs> those kind of things. Um, but it is it is fun to to watch how people have their own little rituals, you know, when they're doing the things I saw, I think it was American Ninja Warrior, an episode where this guy went through the obstacle, obstacle course in a tuxedo with tennis shoes. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, it's a TV show. So they want personalities. They want people that have a theme. And there are people that do it with suits on. My friend, Anthony Porter, is a, a, an archery. Uh, he's a professional bow and arrow archery guy. So he runs the course with the with the arrows, uh, not his bow, but with mm -hmm. the arrows. So he trains. I see him every Tuesday and Thursday night training. He trains with the bow and arrows in the back so that he can do. Wow. It's it's wild. So he's a, a, a modern day Zelda ninja warrior. Yeah. He, yeah. he's, he's Hawkeye. He's Hawkeye <laughs> from Marvel. He is the real Hawkeye. It's nuts. It's really nuts. <laughs> yeah. So, so in, in, in doing this, did your parents ever say, okay, Pamela, we understand that yes, this is an acting position that is athletic, but this isn't really what we envisioned when we thought you should be an actor. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that I have parents that like wanted me to be an actor? They never said anything like, you know, I just told them I, when I moved out to LA, I was like, yeah, I'll try and be a, you know, go on some auditions and stuff. And that didn't really happen because I didn't really want to do it. Um, I don't think it was until, and I'm not going to say that my parents weren't proud of me, but it wasn't until they saw me produce the show, an award show that I produced and 
it wasn't even like after I interviewed all these celebrities and really became a journalist and was reviewing films and all this. It really wasn't until they saw the award show that I produced that they were like, oh, okay, our daughter is a business woman. She's, she's, she's behind the scenes and she likes it. You know, you know, me just sort of being myself sort of got me the, the jobs in front of the camera. You know, I did KTLA news and stuff like that. And that was always very exciting for my dad. He just loved to see me on camera. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I noticed here that your energy kind of went down a little bit when we started talking about your parents and their expectations. Is there a little animosity there in that, that you don't feel like you're living up to their expectations for you? No, no, I don't think there is. I don't know if I've ever, I haven't really had the conversation about why I didn't, we've never talked about it. We never talked about how I didn't say, I'm not, I'm not an actor. I don't want to be an actor. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it happened once or twice, but I sort of went in, when I moved to LA, I met my now mentor boss, Michelle Elizabeth, who really mentored me as a businesswoman. We started this news site together. She was also a journalist. Then she started this award show. I became a producer on it. And all that sort of happened, you know. In that time, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with my parents about it. They And they always say, I'm proud of you and all that. Definitely, they've never kept me from doing anything I wanted. But yeah, I don't think it's been addressed. Do you feel like that's something that needs to be addressed? I don't think so. But I don't know, you know. I think like... You know, now with my dad, like he's lucid, he's, he's, he's okay. But he, I think it's sort of like, what does Pamela do? <laughs> I mean, he knows, he knows, he comes to the show. I produced, you know, this show that's like the Oscars of beauty honors the people behind the scenes. He comes every year when it happens. And so he knows what I do. You know, he sees me running around with celebrities and, and producing them and doing this and that. So it's probably the sports stuff. That's a little more confusing. <laughs> yeah, you know? I, I would see how that kind of could could say, okay, well, yeah, she's an actor, but she's an athletic actor. You know, it kind of it's almost like and and please don't take this the wrong way, but it's almost like wrestling, you know, like WWE. They're actors, but right. they are athletic people. We're personalities. Like we're, I think we're just public personality. So we're really just ourselves, mm -hmm. but I, but yeah, on the wrestling, that, that's incredible to me, by the way, I didn't know that that was like a role playing thing until a few years ago. So it was incredible <laughs> uh, for me. I was like, wait a minute. We know, why are we chilling them on? We know they're winning. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I would say it's a personality thing. Absolutely. And so uh, I think that with the age gap sometimes between children and their parents, it's hard for them to understand that personality is acting in and of itself, you know, because we are, you know, myself, I am Brian Shepard. I am Dr. Brian Shepard. And my personality, if you will, is Doc Brian. That's, it's part of me, but that's not all of me. And so I think that that gets, gets skewed even in the entertainment industry. And, and, and while this is a podcast and it's educational, it's still entertainment. I mean, uh, and right. so I would never say, Hey, I want to be an entertainer. You know, I, I'm not, not one of those people, not like, uh, what is it? Uh, Ken, Ken Young, whoever he is, he was the, uh, he was a medical doctor and turned comedian, very well-known comedian now. Uh, and I'm like, who spends $200,000 to go to medical school to become a comedian, you know, just one day decides, right. hey, this is what I'm going to do differently. 
and and so we we kind of get in this thought process of am i really this person is this really what makes me happy or am i really trying to fit what i want to do and being my parents idea of what i'm supposed to be so do you feel like that you are are doing this because you truly do enjoy it or because you hang on to it because there's a little bit of part of you feels like you're living up to your parents expectations of who you're supposed to be i actually don't think that it has anything to do with my parents' expectations. Um, because I don't, I don't ever think about it. You know, it's so I'm very close with them. So I, I talk to them a lot, almost every day now, you know, I think that like, it all goes, it, it goes back to the whole, like putting on a show thing. I think that I brag a lot. That sounds, you know, is that a bad thing? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't it's think like it is. you don't want to talk about, it. Yeah. You know, but sometimes like I, I remember just sort of recognizing getting off the phone. And I was like, oh, did I even ask how my parents were? You know, I mean, now it, it is about them for me, you know, as parents get older and whatnot. But it's also like we're, they're the people I talk to and tell everything to. So, hey, this happened and this happened. I definitely do it because I love it. I I love anything that is adrenaline, really, you know, um, anything that really is is sports related except basketball. Um, <laughs> I, I, I played basketball in sixth grade until I figured out it was a running sport and I quit. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't doing all that. I, I didn't understand why you had to run all the way to the other end of the court to do the same thing you just did at the opposite end of the court for the other team. Yeah, It just yeah. It didn't make sense. I'd always just get hit in the face. I was like, wow, I really have like no hand-eye coordination. Um <laughs> But yeah, yeah, you know, I think I think I yeah do all the fitness stuff a lot of and and competing because it, because I when you're good at something or when you start getting accolades and stuff you you keep doing it you know and also because um it, I think it helps me physically and mentally for my health because I I live with you know a, with a rare autoimmune disease and I like to think that it keeps me stronger even though sometimes I hit a wall like right now I'm I'm basically in like a reset zone. But I definitely know I do that. It's like compensating for the weakness. With a disease, though, like that, it means you're one in a million at least. So we already knew that you were a great performer, actor, dancer. And so now we have this this side of you that's uh, even even here. So what, what kind of disease do you have, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, it's called, um, it's called Bichette's disease. Um, some people, my rheumatologist calls it Bichette's. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, uh, it's auto, it's an autoimmune disease that re- was originally called the Silk Road disease. And that was, I think originated in Japan, but having nothing to do with, with ethnicity, cause it doesn't discriminate. And it is inflammation of the blood vessels. People started to get ulcers on their eyes. And then, you know, it showed up in Turkey. The, uh, Bichette's is named after a Turkish doctor. It affects just about everything in the body. It can be neuro, neuro bichettes, which can mask as multiple sclerosis. Um, I was tested for MS last year um, when sort of like my, the whole right side of my body was tingling and numb for a good few months. So I, you know, I went through the whole MRI and I'm, I'm, I don't have MS and it can, it, it, the worst for me is ulcers, ulcers in the reproductive and the female organs and down there, that's the worst. And that's when I know my immune system has completely shut down. Yeah. And joint pain and all that. Mm-hmm. If I'm remembering correctly, they really don't know what causes it either. 
Is that right? They have no idea. Right. It is the most bizarre disease because, you know, when people are getting diagnosed with it more and more. I mean, there's only like, well, I think something like 20,000 cases a year in the U.S. But I know people all around the world, men, women, uh, mostly a lot of men and women in their 20s and 30s get diagnosed and have their first flare, but they probably have had flares. Like I remember having GI issues when I was young, but I had my first flare in about 2006. And that was just the worst. So, so in training for with, you know, with any autoimmune, when you start really putting a lot of stress on your body tends to flare. So how do you cope with that in doing TV shows like Ninja Warrior or even in your, your beauty awards? How, how do you cope with that? You know, I think a lot of times when we're going through a stressful situation in which we have to perform in some sort of way, like even in the workplace, I feel like our body almost is like, we'll do this until we can shut down. Oh, the show's over. Now we can shut down. You know, um, there is always that fear that I'm going to flare. Like I just finished filming an, a new obstacle show for a show. And that was, uh, I had two concussions from that show. First episode, I got a concussion second episode, but I was not diagnosed until a few days after the second episode. And, or not the same episode, but second shoot day. I was surprised with all the impact that my body went through that I was, I was waiting for ulcers or something to happen, my glands to swell. And then it was just going to, I was going to fall apart. Nothing happened. I am going through like a flare right now because I've just been too much, just too much. I hired a new coach. I'm, I'm running six days a week. I'm, I'm training, you know, with Ninja and all this stuff. And I, even though I think I'm getting enough sleep, I'm not, I'm not. So even, you know, once again, with autoimmune disorders, everything affects our mental health. Everything affects our mental health. And so, you know, you would say you would, you would be nervous or have anxiety about this might happen or when it's going to happen, when is it going to shut down? How do you, how do you cope with that anxiety of this everyday struggle of when is it going to happen again? Um, I think I've done a a good job of, uh, which has actually not really served me well in some ways is suppressing because I'm not the kind of person that, that will be like, wake up and be like, today's going to be a bad day. Or I think I feel this. And then I think about it all day. I'll forget about it. If I think I feel like an ulcer while I'm running, I'm like, ah, forget about it. Keep going. Just like the choreography, just forget it. Oh, forget it completely. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, I always say like, and I said it in other interviews, like I say the whole cliche mind over matter thing, but I definitely live, you know, I live by it. I live by it. But at the end of the day, I got to, sometimes I forget I have a disease. I think a lot of people with, with autoimmune diseases say that they forget. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, that, that you can get to an, a point where you're feel healthy and that you don't have something lingering over you is always a good place to be. Um, and you, you mentioned you don't get enough sleep. Um, I don't really think any American gets enough sleep. We either aren't getting enough or we're getting way too much, which is both ways unhealthy. So for, for you as an athlete, what is your, what is your perfect number there of hours? I try to sleep eight to nine hours and my coach is, we report how many hours I mean obviously we don't know how many hours we actually slept but you have the you've got the thing like I go to bed pretty early if I need to wake up and run at 6 a.m I go to bed at 9 or 9 30 and I you know 
try to have a full restful night's sleep. That's pretty, eight to nine is good. I know that if I don't sleep, if I have a few nights of literally less than six or seven, seven hours, I will hit a wall. You know, it's it's a little, it's wild. It's almost like sleep is a medication for Bichette's too. Well, sleep is a medication for everything. I've said, and people that listen to my podcast probably have heard me say this every episode, but sleep is the dishwasher of the mind. And it just, it, it washes the day away and it helps you reset. But not only that, it helps our whole body to reset and reboot the whole the whole process of sleep uh, is so, so important. And one of the first signs, symptoms of any mental health condition is excessive sleep or not enough sleep. You know, it's just, that's one of the the main things. I, I have uh, two close, two, three close friends who are very, um, I don't know what the word, I was going to say addicted, but they're very committed um, athletic people. And they go to bed like eight, eight fifteen, and they're up by three thirty, four. And I'm like, there is no reason on this earth that God wanted anybody to be awake at three thirty or four in the morning. But you know, they said, but you know, if if you get up at four, you've got a good three solid hours before the rest of the world wakes up, and you can get a lot done. I'm like, but I don't have any interest. <laughs> doing that i know know? i mean that's why like it does feel great you know usually our long training days are in the morning on saturday morning and we'll you know we'll have run anywhere between a half marathon to 20 miles by 8 a.m and doesn't that feel great we're exhausted i'm exhausted just thinking about you doing that (laughs) yeah me too i didn't do it this morning and i just you know sent my coach a message i was like i'm sick (laughs) (laughs) i'll write you a doctor's note it'll be all right thank you yeah yeah thank you so so you had uh indicated a little bit about this this show that you were on that you had received a concussion was there any more to that story about yeah, I just kind of sense there might be a little more to that story as far as concerning. There is. Okay. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the the show, um, you know, we weren't wearing a helmet on the first course, the qualifiers course. I only realized that when I saw the trailer and I was like, wow. So we were banged around a lot. And then we made it onto the next course. And that course had a lot of drops and a lot of hits. And I had one really bad snap back and a hit to the head. And after the show, I, uh, some of my friends actually said they were going to bring up that I might have a concussion because all I kept saying was, am I here? Am I alive? Cause doesn't it feel like, it feels a little weird. Everything sort of looked weird. Everything was just different. And then a month later we shot the, the, the next shoot day. And that was a relay course. And it was really quick. Two obstacles. I finished two obstacles my uh my coach at the time finished and i finished mine i had another pretty bad hit to the head going down and i was sort of just like you know shaken in my interview and in my tv interview waiting for him to finish and long story short he disappears the obstacle stops spinning i don't know what happened there was a i can't really talk about it but there was um confidentially there was something that happened on uh, there was a fatality previously and it had not been addressed to any of us but we knew it was there so when my coach disappeared I was sort of shocked and I was like where is he is he okay is he alive or is he dead those are my questions was he alive or is he dead and there was 
a very short amount of time in which I didn't know and nobody was giving me answers, but there were cameras on me. And then I learned that he was, he had fractured his ankle. He had, it, the optical had broken his foot to his ankle in two places. And that was it. We were done. We took a 15 minute penalty and that was it. That time messed me up royally. Like, so you were, royally. so you were standing there waiting to be interviewed and you knew someone had passed away doing this obstacle course or at the filming? Yeah. We don't have the details, but something happened. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that did happen. It was second fatality. Um, but, you know, so it was in the back of our heads when we were doing this, you know, to the point where actually before I went on the course, I, I told my I told a couple of people, I was like, take care of my dog, take care of, you know, just in case I didn't know. I didn't know, you know, and I do these things because I, I don't know, I might, you know, I can fall off a boulder any second and not be caught the right way. So I was clearly okay with it because I went ahead and did it. But the big thing that really did it for me was was my coach was because I got I got him into the show. I got scouted for this show. I brought him on, and he's walking away with uh, with his you know broken ankle, and it was really hard. And somebody I'll tell you now that uh, somebody had suggested tremor therapy. I don't know uh, you know what your belief system is on that. I, I've only done a few sessions, but um, it has brought back the scene to me. And I am very emotional. I'm very emotional. So in that that little period of time, it was that you didn't know what had happened. It wasn't that somebody told you this had happened or that had happened. It was the whole that you didn't know what had happened. I didn't know. I didn't know. I saw a wheelchair being run. I the obstacles had stopped. The water was still. They wanted me to look at the camera and do a, a shock, but I didn't know what I was being shocked about. And at the same time, I am I am wired with adrenaline because I just got you know there. I just did some crazy obstacle, like a crazy obstacle, mm -hmm. <laughs> like something you don't do in your life, you know. And so I was like, you know, I was already like this, like they they had taken you know put a coat on me and all this stuff, and I was just sort of standing there, and they were. They had the medics trying to figure out something had happened to my shoulder, which ended up being a, a muscle spasm thing. And it was a lot. It was a lot. And it wasn't until a few days afterwards uh, that I, how real can we be on this show? I mean, on your. <laughs> you say whatever your heart desires. We're here for it. <laughs> a few days later, we wanted to celebrate, you know, because we had finish the show even though he was going into surgery and all this stuff uh and we we I took a little bit of shrooms I've never done shrooms I did like a little chocolate bit I cried for five hours straight five hours I weeped like a newborn child I mean I wailed and it was all because I was sorry that I brought him on the show and I was sad that we didn't, you know, things went the way it did. There's a lot of research right now uh, in using psychedelics such as mushrooms for uh, medicine to help with uh, post-traumatic stress disorders and those kind of things. So, And concussions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, to I told my, con my concussion, my, she's cranial, osteocranial, sacral, whatever therapist. I told her after she was like, that might have been a good thing. You know, that you did the, because afterwards my concussion symptoms were there. I mean, I became a completely different person the next day. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you, you mentioned, uh, uh, tremor therapy. Uh, are, are you talking about where you sit there and you shake like, naturally shake to try to get your body back into normal homeostasis? Yeah. Okay. 
And, and did that work for you? I mean, I'm still doing it. Um, the the woman that I'm working with sort of explained it like I am a bottle that is shaken and you don't want to open it all up. You got to mm-hmm. open it, close it, open it, close it, right. open it, close A lot of people go through it with domestic, I guess, domestic violence and traumatic. And it has helped me, if anything, just to realize that I still am not okay. Gotcha. So what kind of symptoms do you now suffer after this this accident, this this trauma of standing there waiting to hear what has happened to your coach? Well, the concussion symptoms were um, erratic. I was, uh, I had anger issue. I was punching stuff. I was driving a hundred miles on the freeway. I was angry. I was listening to like heavy metal. I just, I couldn't even drive after one. Once I formally got diagnosed, I couldn't really be on the phone or anything. You know, I was very emotional. I still am but I think I'm trying to like keep busy. Like I went right back into training. I took time off a little bit, like a little bit. And then when I first went to like go jump to a bar from a trampoline, I mean, I'm talking like one foot off the ground. I got, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And so did you, or, or do you at that point kind of feel like your career is over? No, because I feel like it actually sort of just started because there were so, this drove me to be like, I didn't really learn some of the skills for Ninja Warrior that I wanted to learn because I didn't know what I needed to learn for the show. And I hope I'm under contract with this other show, but I hope to, to be able to come back to Ninja Warrior in another season. And so because of this and because of the fear, I decided to make time two days a week to train and get back. And I'm slowly learning. I mean, I'm doing, you know, little bar jumps that are called laches and stuff like that. And that's helping me to get over fear of falling, you know? So, so essentially what you are doing is your own method of cognitive behavioral therapy to reintroduce, yeah, to reintroduce yourself into this slowly to build confidence that I'm not going to die from jumping off of this trampoline onto a bar. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening today. We're going to now switch over into Doc Talks DX, which you can find on Patreon. Uh, and we're going to talk about the diagnosis part uh, that Pamela may be dealing with today, whatever that may be. We'll, you'll have to subscribe there to hear, of course. Uh, so we don't want to give all of our secrets out here, right, Pamela? We we need to leave something, no. hold something back here. Get on, get on over there. Get on over there. <laughs> so uh, she'll be joining us there to discuss the diagnosis and potential treatment of how we would bring all this together to help them cope with this Uh, mental illness. Pamela, I appreciate you sharing uh, your story with us today. And of course, you'll join us uh, here on the second part of Doc Talks DX. Uh, Pamela, tell us where our listeners can find you. Um, They can find me on Instagram at Pam Adrenaline, like Adrenaline with Pam. And also they can follow, I I produce a show at Hollywood Beauty Awards and uh, LATF USA. And also We Care When, which is my, um, my, I guess, organization for Bichette's disease. All right. And you can, we'll have all of her information listed in the description of this podcast. Of course, you can find me at the.brian.com and all of my social media is listed on the website there as well. Um, make sure to follow us again over to Patreon for Doc Talks DX. Of course, Doc Talks is a part of the Be Frank Network. Again, thank you for listening, Pamela. Again, thank you for being with us on Doc Talks today. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. <laughs>